No stress, I'm blessed, I'm doing great right now. I'm doing fine, she said it place right now. My mama calling, trying to. What's up, everybody? This is Pod About It, a podcast to express our thoughts about things you care or don't care about. We are two very retired college athletes that have something to say. So do what you do and enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode, episode seven of Pot About It with myself, Dylan Young, and my illustrious co-host, David Scalari. David, say what's up to the people. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It's good to be back, personally. It's great to be back, Dave. It's really great to be back. We did an episode at New Year's. We're coming back with this one. But, Dave, I just got to ask, what's your glass tonight? I see you drinking on something. What's in your glass? Bro, so this is called Parmesan. Not like Parmesan okay. cheese, but kind of like Parmesan cheese. But it's Parmes- Parmesan. Parmesan. Oh. Parmesan or Parmesan. Parmesan. What, kind, what kind of, what kind of uh, white is it? You know, is it like, is that the white? I mean, I don't really know a lot about wine. It's a, it's a souve. Oh, Souvent Blanc. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm drinking on too, actually. So we both drink yeah, on that Souvent Blanc. You told me how to say it in that last yeah, episode. Blanc. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's a Souv from Sonoma Valley. And bro, so I, I had this for the first time the other night, Friday night, and I really liked it. It's actually okay. one of my favorite wines I've had in a long time. So I went back to the store today and bought two bottles to make sure that I could get some more before they're out of stock. Oh, yeah. And we got to get some for the pie because, you know, it's exactly. everybody get I your class pull yeah. up mm-hmm. one time. I know, but I was watching the uh, – I, I saw the end of the, the NFC Championship game. And mm-hmm. Tampa Bay just won, I think. Buffalo is actually up on Kansas City right now. So, you know, that's going wow. on. Yeah. Yeah. But, Dave, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of football later. But, Dave, yeah. it happened. It, it happened, it happened. Bro. <laughs> The Nets <laughs> made our big three. They, they did it. They, they did, did it. it. They, they, they made 27 moves and four teams and all the craziness going on. But at the end of the day, yeah. they got our one, two, and three of yeah. KD, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie came back to the team pretty quickly after that. And Kyrie, Kyrie came. Now, Dave, there's some things going on with Kyrie as far yeah. as what he did. But he's back yeah. now. You know, he was going through some things as far as his mental health. So I'm not gonna yep. not gonna hurt him on this. No, we're not gonna knock him that because we don't know the situation. Yeah, we're not we don't know the situation. And he's back now and they've been playing yep. together. And one thing that I will say that they're doing is that they're scoring a lot of points. <laughs> a whole they, bunch bro, they of are, points. They look good. They look really good. They look really good, but this is what I will say, Dave. They just really look good on offense. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that defense is yeah. going to get any better or what's going to happen. I mean, last night or the other night they played against Miami. Yep. They won by four. Right. But Bam Adebayo had 40. Yeah. Yeah. And they scored 124 points. No Jimmy Butler. No Tyler Hero. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's Bro, I easy. bet they change up their roster. They have to. They have to change up the roster, Dave. Like, they have to get – somebody big, bigger people because they only have DeAndre Jordan and he's old yeah. and they really don't have any backup centers. Right. Like, yeah. So they, I they, saw today actually 
on Instagram, uh, they were interested in JaVale McGee. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, they would definitely benefit from having JaVale McGee. Like that. Yeah. They, they need, they just need more length and more, you know, protection at the rim because be honest with you, James Harden, he's a, you know, palatable defender. Like he can serve as a defender, kind of. Mm-hmm. Kyrie's not paying any defense and Kevin can play some defense. Yeah. But that's not enough for what they got going on. Right. And so, right. Dave, I have to pose this question. How far do you think they will, with this roster now, we agree on one thing, that this team here is going to score in bunches and they're going to be very hard to stop. The, the question is, can they play enough defense and score enough points to where no one can catch them? And maybe they can once they get it going. Yeah. But the playoffs is a different beast, as you know. Right. right, a lot more defenses play, a lot less fouls, a lot more calls. So, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, you know, what, what's going to be the fan of their season? Do they get to the title? Do they win the chip? Not LeBron. I mean, I'll say this, bro. They better. <laughs> <laughs> they, they better win this year. Like, because I, I don't really know the answer to your question, so I, I'm not trying to dodge the question. I just I, look. I think they can win. Like, of course, I think they can win. I also, I also could see them getting beat because you look at a team like the Lakers. I mean, they're they they can score too. Okay, they can score so too, but they they're also they they also really hold it down on both ends. Of the do, okay, I'll, I'll ask a better question because mm-hmm. you're going to the champ. Do you think they even make it out the East? Do they make it out the Eastern Conference? I think they, I think they will. I think if they can stay healthy, I think they will. I mean, I, okay, you know they'll have to beat the Bucks. They'll have to beat the Heat. Well, not got to be all those teams, but you know they may be. Yeah. they may have to play. Yeah, I mean, They'll probably play Boston, Philly, Miami, yeah. or the Bucks, and the Bucks. Maybe yeah, I mean, one, if I if one I were two of those teams, exactly. If I was a betting man, bro, I'd say that they get out of the East, and I'd say they probably they're probably going to play the Lakers in the finals. Which, I, bro, I, that'd be an unbelievable finals to watch. Yeah, but and I, I think it, I think it will come down to, you know, first of all, can Brooklyn get their defense together? You know what LeBron and AD can do against them. Yeah, no. So you're 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 assuming they make it out the East. So yeah, I, I I'm not so sure they'll make it out the okay. East. I think there's some tough teams that are going to be developing. I think Boston is been ready to pop for a very long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that Philadelphia this year with Joel Embiid and you know Tobias Harris with Doc Rivers, and, and I know yeah. when Ben Simmons. Well, I'm not too high on Ben Simmons. I'm not uh, too high on anybody that can't shoot. But yeah, <laughs> you know, just in general, that's the general yeah. rule. You know, you yeah. can't do what basketball is about. You can't shoot. I'm not really a fan of yours, but yeah, you know, they do have a good structured team. You know, you also have Miami, and yeah. I'm not. You know, I don't worry about the Bucks as much because Giannis can't shoot the basketball. <laughs> but <laughs> those other teams, I do, I do worry about a little bit for the Nets. Now, I think if they can get out of the East. I think we're going seven, and I'm going to say it here right now. I think the Nets pull off seven if they can make it mm-hmm. against L.A., either L.A. team. I'm not too sure that L.A. can make it this year. We'll see how. You I mean think the Lakers? Both the L.A. teams, the Clippers, too. Oh. I think they're going to be a, a contender this year. I can't yeah. knock them out. They really didn't lose too many of the roster. I mean, last year they were in a bubble, and they really didn't like being there or whatever. And they, they, a lot of players have said there's no way we're going back to a bubble situation. They hated it. Yeah. So what? So I, I think they will make it a little bit more interesting and in seeing how the Clippers kind of react because they kind of almost just gave up last year. It, it seemed like 
yeah. to a point or like they weren't as motivated. Yeah. And bro, like it's so interesting that you mentioned the bubble piece and we're not going to get, you know, on the topic of COVID again, but yeah. bro, like this whole season could be changed. The it, Like COVID will impact the season. I mean, you got team, you got games being postponed left and right. So, you know, who yeah. knows what's going to yeah. happen in the playoffs, right? It takes one little screw up basically from one guy on one team to completely flip a series or change the way that teams are operate. Like take a guy like Kyrie, he was maskless at a party. I mean, again, we're not going to get into it, but it, there, there's going to be some, there could be some impact there. Oh, Dave. So I'm, I'm already thinking that before we really get into, <laughs> I think before we really even get into the playoffs that yeah. the NBA is going to have vaccinated most of their players. Like I'm, I'm just gonna. I mean, I just think money prevails. If you actually, and I didn't want to talk about this, but if you look at the COVID vaccination right now, poor communities are having less and less access mm. to the vaccine. It's just a fact. Sure. And as we all know, economic structures in yep. America are going to decide who gets what and what happens. Right. And the NBA has billionaire owners. Yeah. Going to influence to do a lot of things. They only really need, I don't know, let's say thirty tests a team. Mm-hmm. You know, not not too many tests really. Nine hundred yeah. tests, a thousand tests, right, right, right. two thousand tests. Yeah, uh, for the whole NBA to really kind of be good to play and not to have to worry about it. I I I just feel like those teams are going to end up with <laughs> the vaccine at the end. Of, like at the end of the day, like they they the money makes the decisions on these things. Yeah. And so I that's why I am not counting out the Clippers quite yet because I think that there's going to be a different postseason this year. Yeah. And yeah. I think they're going to get I think they're going to get the vaccine Next before time. yeah, before let's say I don't know uh April like around April. Sure. Right yeah. right before the playoffs, you know, are starting. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see though. We'll see. Obviously that will be something that we'll have to watch cuz COVID is not – I didn't think it was going to last this long. You know, our last president said it was going to be gone, you know, just like that, two weeks. Right, but right, right. It's still here, Turned my guy, out. and he's gone. But yeah, that's a whole nother story. Dave, I am so super excited. We've been talking about doing this for a while. And this this section of the show – we talked about having guests. We talked about bringing them on for a while. So this is the new segment, Who's at the Table? And so everybody has something going on. I know most of us, most people listening to this are just regular people working the grind. Yeah, right? like us. Like us. And so, but also people have things that they're passionate about, whether it's business, whether it's political, whether it's something that can help you uh, succeed, entrepreneurial. Whatever it is, I just want to kind of just bring that to the show. And today we do have our first guest. But please give it up for Brianna LaFontaine. Brianna, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to hear you, your voice and to have you on here. So a little bit about Brianna. She is living down here in Delray Beach. She actually went to Walford College. She is an athlete like ourselves, Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, she played yeah. on the women's soccer team, multiple positions, kind of can do it all. She's from Jacksonville, Florida. 
And then, you know, after college and she was an English major and she went into TFA, which is Teach for America, which is a program where, um, you know, people of college after graduating college, they go into a program where they teach, you know, underprivileged areas um, and, you know, trying to make a difference. And now she works in a nonprofit called Engage Miami. And the best thing is that she happens to be my girlfriend. And so, Brianna, how how are things going? I'm so glad that you're our first guest because, you know, a lot of things just works out because obviously, you know, we're here together. And so this can be done very easily. But, you know, I, I really think some of the things that you've been doing are like super cool and super impactful and super helpful to people and really what we need to like strive to do. Damn, y'all are gonna make me tear up, bro. Man, y'all chill, baby. Man, I'll chill, baby. I'm just trying to do this little bit <laughs> right. intro, and I'm right. trying to get the people right so they could get to understand what's going on. Yes, she happens yeah. to be my girlfriend, but I yeah. pr- you know, I'm I'm still proud of these things. Right. And so, yeah, yeah, Brianna. Um, pandemic's going on. Now we're trying to stay safe. I mean, I don't really know what's going on because we're here together. But um, how has, like, the pandemic and everything been for you and your work and what you have going on right now? Yeah, so the pandemic has changed, obviously, everything, I think, for a lot of people. I actually was, like, I had the privilege of, like, being able to work from home before the pandemic um, for, like, one or two days a week if I wanted to. It was a choice. But, you know, now that we're able to work from home, um, I mean, I really enjoy it. I don't mind not having to go to work, not having to get up. But yeah, it's completely changed like how we do our work too and how we approach our work, which has been challenging, but it's really fun to, I think, like be creative in these moments. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, a lot of <laughs> that solitude and that things like that have created this podcast and created, you know, people doing different, you know, creative things to, to escape and to just do something different because we have to, know kind of fill our time with new things and so you know i kind of introduced you and talked to you about your experience at tfa with teach for america kind of just tell us a little bit about that kind of how was it with everything and how teaching in that environment how did it kind of um shape you know kind of the thoughts that you have today on education yeah so when you first start tfa you go to institute Um, And I was actually in Institute, which is like a five week program that's training. And I was actually in Philadelphia, um, Pennsylvania. I taught ninth grade summer school. I taught American history, U.S. history to students that were trying to go on to 10th grade. It's a really interesting dynamic. You have like a bunch of kids that are right out of out of college and they're expected to spend five weeks of like this intensive program, learn about the communities, learn about the people, learn about curriculum, learn about how to nurture students like socially, emotionally, and also just like academically in the classroom. That was, that's like really difficult, I think, to ask for anybody to take on, especially to learn it in five weeks is a lot. And so to be like frank, like I think we're all pretty un- unprepared right. when we get to the classroom. 
But yeah, like transitioning to Miami and bringing all those skills to Miami was a little different because I ended up teaching middle school English, which is a whole different ball game than high schoolers. My experience in the school was, I mean, there are obviously a lot of things that need to be fixed from like treating our students as whole human beings and not just seeing them as numbers or seeing them as data. A lot of the focus when I got into the school was that the school is going to be shut down. So we have to push these numbers and we have to make sure that X, Y, and Z student makes it to this point by this date. And if we don't see promise in, you know, the other 15, 20 students in the class, then we choose to only give our attention to the ones that we believe are going to succeed based on data that's probably not even accurate because kids really don't take the test seriously because they're just too constant and they're they're not really good indicators of actually where students are. Bree, I just have I just have a question for you on that. And first of all, I want to take a second and say, you know, I have also had the privilege of knowing you for a long time. I was just trying to think about how long I've known you for. Obviously, as long as I've been friends with Dylan. So I think it's like think it's going on seven years, which makes me feel old, but we've known each other for a long time. And as I've been listening to you talk through your experience at Teach for America, there's not many people who I think are just naturally more qualified to do something like that. And naturally the type of that, that's a tough gig. That's a really tough gig. And I don't think there are too many people who are. Yeah, not anybody can do that. No, absolutely. But Brie, you, you, you are that. You are genuine, you are understanding, you are kind, you are intelligent, right? So you are naturally, you know, the, the type of person who I think can make such a positive impact in that situation. So I just wanted to, first of all, put that out there. But the question I, I have for you on, on TFA is, you mentioned students taking a test that kind of gives you guys some understanding of what, quote, promise they have or what their future is going to look like. How old are these kids when they're taking that test? So first of all, thank you for everything you just said. I appreciate you. Um, means a lot. And so these students really like start taking these diagnostic tests from as soon as like they can, which is like kindergarten. They take some sort of test. Obviously, they can't like read at that point. So it's different. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like in third grade is when they say start taking the state tests. So mm -hmm. the state test um, that determines basically how much funding each school gets um, yeah. like best based on the amount of students that pass. So yeah, they've been taking these tests four times a year for at least the past three years. I taught sixth and eighth grade. So yeah. and they spend like a lot of time on these programs. It sounds like they're just taking a lot of time to actually just pass the test is what you're really just your end goal is just with certain students, though, not even the whole entire population of students, right? Right. Right. So just like for my understanding and for everybody's understanding, it, it seems like there is a, a miss in the process to me because you're testing third graders and third graders are what, eight, nine? So you're testing like an eight and nine year old. And the system is essentially judging their promise and judging their future off of those results, yes. right? And electing to invest in certain kids. That's Yeah, that's definitely the beginning of it, right? Yep. Yes, exactly. But I feel like they're ha they're, that's a miss because 
how many third graders are just not right. Your brain doesn't stop developing until you're 25. You know, in third grade, there is no way in hell I would have performed well enough on a test to show any sort of promise. But there's tons of people who just need time to grow and mature, right? And are not are not going to show their shit in third grade. So what what's like from your experience? What's the outcome of that? Um, the outcome is that you end up with students that are functionally illiterate in sixth grade and eighth grade. You end up with students that read at a kindergarten and first grade level and um, that are in sixth, seventh, eighth grade because they didn't show promise when they were in third grade or they like, well, yeah, they initially didn't show promise and so they weren't invested in and that just carried in throughout every single year. And so like, I mean, sometimes it only takes that one time for a student to be like, damn, I didn't score well in this test. Like, and now I'm, yeah. and now I'm in this, in this group with these kids because they, they think I'm stupid. Like the kids know too. They know sure. I'm in this group because this is the quote unquote, you know, not succeeding group. So. Yeah. And Brie, we have these conversations all the time. Like I know, I know a lot of these questions that Dave is asking, like there were a lot of yeah. the questions that I had. And so it's, it's tough because you see this and like it's a, such a big system that you're 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 just one part of it right like you're you're making an impact on the individual's lives and the people that come into that room but you can't impact all the kids across Miami Day across the county across but so my question is is kind of following up to all of that like if you had a magic wand what are two things that you would change for, you know, those under, underprivileged schools to succeed? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think one big one, the first one that comes to mind is to like demilitarize our schools. So hmm. take out the amount of school resource officers that we have in our schools and replace them with counselors. In Miami Day, there's one counselor for every like 462 students and those counselors aren't are like academic counselors so those aren't mental health counselors those are just counselors that you go to if you need a schedule change um and like we're seeing now that like mental health of our students especially since we're all like they're learning remotely is is really starting to get bad I, well, I was talking to someone that, like, still works in the school system. She's uh, She works for city year, so she's basically, like, an assistant to the teacher in the classroom. And she was telling me that one of her students told, like, her parents, like, I'm, I have to go back to school for just, like, my social life because I can't stay at home anymore. I can't do it. And so, like, I think, wow. um, like, in that case, like, students – sometimes like don't even want to go back to school because like you know they don't have a social life and they don't even have like counselors to talk to in that situation but if we had counselors that were like able to check on students in the process of like having to be home because honestly at the end of the day it comes down to safety like we don't want kids at school because right for everybody involved but like if we had counselors the correct amount of counselors to talk students through like mental academic any type of like need that they have I think that would improve the like school experience for everybody. And I think it creates that like, you know, school to prison pipeline 
like it just you know enhances that right like you have the police there at these underprivileged schools all the time like black students and people of colors in general are profiled more and are more likely to be suspended for the same type of offenses that like white students are you know so that's a big part of it i I get that because that's huge and that's a societal thing that kind of changes you know outcomes of people's lives whether they you know, get all the education in the world and go to college or whatever. So what's another thing that you would change? I think that, I don't know if this would be like the thing I would want. I think I would want to make sure that like schools are properly funded and equitably funded. So that's like a short answer. But one thing I really think needs to happen is that we need to have like accurate history of America. And I think we need to recognize America's part in colonialism and racism and patriarchy and white supremacy. And we need to like confront that at a young age. I don't think kids are, there's, I think that as soon as kids enter school and like maybe first grade, like they need to start learning about, you know, as soon as they start learning about American history, they need to start learning the truth. I mean, there's no point in lying to our students. And I think that if we are able to like, start that foundation there. I think that would really change the way that young people think about each other and think about the world. So, yeah. That's a big one. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. Just actually having people get accurate history is so critical. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that's the reason why so many people don't see what Black lives actually matter and say all lives matter because they don't understand the history of why we have to say Black Lives Matter. That creates a whole divide and everything else. And Brie, like the thing that like I like when you do when you, when you talk about school is that you're like, you know, my students, like you still teach. I know, I know, like, and you've been out of school for a couple, and it's not like to say that, but like the passion that you have for teaching, like makes you still feel like you're there. Um, I mean, I bring up Frito-Lay <laughs> stuff all the time because I feel like I still work at Frito-Lay because it was such a part of my life. So the same yeah. with you, but. But right now you're at Engage Miami, and that's a whole different thing. Uh, it's a nonprofit here in Miami-Dade and Miami area. So kind of tell us about that and what you do there. Yes. So I am the development and outreach manager at Engage Miami. So in short, I manage like donor relations. So basically make sure I fundraise for the organization, um, build relationships, just to make sure that people have salaries and we can continue to do the work that we do. And the work that we do is um, we register voters, we educate voters, and we also organize. So our organization is focused um, and geared towards building power for young people, specifically political power. We know that like a lot of the times young people are thought of as like apathetic to to politics or like, oh, I'm too young to be involved. But I think it really stems from the fact that when we're in school, we're taught about federal government and all of the inner and outer workings of that. But we're not even, we're never taught about our local government and what happens like right down the road and how much that actually affects what we, like our living conditions and what we experience every single day. And so right. to make real change, like at, a level that you can see. We think that people need young people need to be involved in their local politics and pe- young people want to. Like they want to make the change because they are mm-hmm. facing these issues every day. And so, 
yeah, we push into colleges and high schools and we give presentations about how to get registered to vote, why you should vote. We talk about issues that matter to young people, like a lot of young people in Miami specifically are really worried about climate change because in about like 50 years, you know, Miami may not exist the way we know it and flooding and there's just a lot of issues. And so we organize young people and we go to our county commissioners and we talk to them. Um, We, this past September, went to a budget hearing in our county commission and we advocated for more money for the Affordable Housing Trust. We advocated for more money to go towards climate initiatives and things like that. So yeah, it's a really, really great organization. It's powered by young people, people of color, and we fight for a future that we all deserve. Really powerful stuff. Really yeah, powerful yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know, this is why this is why we brought you brought you on the show, Bree. Yeah, yeah, it's why we brought you on the show because we we're we're all young people, right? Like people that listen to the show, the majority of them are probably young, right? And we're young ourselves, but we are all almost late into politics. Like I've been part of some of the stuff that you've done with at Engage, like been on panels and stuff. And these kids are like 17, 18 years old getting involved in politics. And that's so crazy to me, right? Like it took Trump really for me to say, okay, I'm going to get down in politics. And I mean, for them too, because they're younger, but it's, it's just crazy. Like how people, so, but you need avenues to get them to say, I want to be in politics to how do I turn that into something? And I think y'all give a great platform for that. It's, It's really dope. And so like, with that, with the election, how did that kind of turn out as far as, you know, getting people registered and things like that? How did y'all do? We ended up doing, you know, we obviously had to change our tactics because we couldn't be on the ground, like at schools, face to face with people registering them to vote. Um, and so we had to make like an online voting portal for people to go to. And we ended up calling a million people or making a million calls, I will say, and having over 100,000 conversations with young people about just like what's going to be on the ballot, you know, what issues they care about and like how they can connect those issues to what's on their ballot. We like made sure that they knew where their polling location was. We made sure that they knew like what to bring to the polling location we let them know that they could sign up to vote by mail so they didn't even have to go into the polls. We had to shift everything online, which was like really different. Um, but we were able to have, we started doing like Instagram lives to like spread information that way, inviting like special guests from different organizations. So it ended up being really, really cool. I think we were able to reach a lot of people. Another thing we do is we have fellowships. And so there were a group of like 15 college students that had their own like event on Instagram that was for National Voter Registration Day. And so like together, I don't even know how many people they reach, like thousands of people, just like those 15, those 15 fellows. So yeah, we get to extend out into the community pretty far. So that's exciting. It's super dope. And like one of the things that I really loved and I think is like so important is like your voter guides. And when they did that, you know, every every time you vote, like, honestly, I just thought you used to vote for, and we talked about this, Dave, I thought you used to vote for just, like, the president and the vice president and keep it moving. But as you know, there's 
all sorts of elections, all sorts of like amendments and stuff like that you vote on and things like that. And what they do is nonpartisan. They just tell you which thing is which and what they mean and, you know, how you should vote if you go a certain way or whatever the case is. Like they're super helpful. And like we use them to vote um, to make real, you know, good decisions and not just circling boxes. And because it all matters, right? Like the whole state of Georgia was won off of yeah. yep. thousands of votes, right? So one area means a lot. That's that's super dope. So, Bree, we just had the craziest, like, three consecutive Wednesdays I've ever seen, probably in my life. Like, So on the 6th of January, we had the insurrection where KKK and Trump supporters were trying to take over the Capitol. And then the next Wednesday, we had the impeachment of Donald Trump for inciting the insurrection. And then, of course, this past Wednesday, we just had the inauguration. Now, I know that's a lot going on. But like with those three events all together, are you more hopeful or less hopeful for America's future? I'm a very optimistic person, so I'm always I'm always hopeful. Um, okay. I'm always hopeful that Hmm. You know, I want to say, like, I'm hopeful that people can, like, learn to, like, understand one another, but I don't know how hopeful I am about that. I'm hopeful that the people that we've elected to sit in office <laughs> will do, you know, some some sort of justice. I'm not, like, ecstatic about Mr. Biden and Ms. Harris. But, you know, yes, thank President you. And Vice President. President Biden and Vice President Harris, Madam Harris. I am, of course, ecstatic mm-hmm. that there is a black woman sitting in that seat. But, you know, I think I'm hopeful that that people will be able to learn from what they're seeing and people will be able to analyze and determine like how we got to this point so that we can never let it happen again and use and use this like time to like I was talking about history earlier like the way that we speak about these moments are super important I feel like the way that we frame these behaviors and just frame just how blatantly like or how blatant like some of these lies are and yeah, so I'm hopeful that people can like learn from this moment because I think what we're seeing could like could not be more clear. <laughs> like we literally are living in in like a time where just like the truth continues to reveal itself and you can choose to look at it, you know, for what it is or you can choose to look at it from a jaded perspective and a lot of people have the chance to like really reflect and I think a lot of people on the other side of when I say like the other side I mean just like conservative or and liberal people really have time to like sit back and reflect and think about how you and like your role in your everyday life may have even like perpetuated someone thinking that like this is okay and that we realize that even these small conversations matter because at the end of the day this is what this can all snowball into like 
by us not having conversations with like the people that we love. You know, they could, they, people are very, have a lot of influence on each other. And so like, I think this shows us that like, we need to make sure that in every possible moment that we have that, that we're, that we're serious, that letting people know that white supremacy is real, that it's alive, it's dangerous, that it can, it can manifest in this way. And like, this is to the detriment of everybody, not just one side or the other. We got to figure it out, right? Like, we're a long way away, but at least we've stopped, so in my opinion, in a lot of people's opinion, some of the, like, bleeding, like, if you're taking care of, if America's like a dying victim, like, you've got the bleeding and you got the vitals, like, you know, <laughs> under control right now, right? Like, we were spiraling out of control. want to thank you, Bree, for joining us. And, you know, like I said earlier, I think all of the work that you're doing with Engage and the things that I'm sure you're also doing outside of Engage is, is just really important work. And I think there's there's a lot that we can learn from you and learn from your voice and the things that you're doing. So thank you. Very honored to be the first guest. Can't wait to see how much you guys grow and how much better these podcasts get over over the next couple months. I'm excited. Yeah, Dave, now that uh, Bree's on the podcast, maybe she'll listen to it. So this is also a win for all of us. Absolutely is. So another important thing we need to talk about is the Eagles coaching situation. Well, really the Eagles off-season situation in general. I know we said we weren't going to talk about the Eagles. I know. What's going on? (laughs) What's going on? Yeah, we do. We do. Bro, so... Doug Peterson was fired a week after most head coaches are fired at the end of the season, right? Yeah, and it's funny because we talked about Black Monday and then he ended up getting fired. Right. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Doug Peterson gets fired. He had backfilled Chip Kelly, led the Eagles to their first Super Bowl in 2017. And then, obviously, the organization had some underwhelming performances after the Super Bowl. A couple of playoff appearances, one playoff two, win, I think, two, right? Two, out of, two, two, out two playoff two, No, no, no. Two playoff appearances out of the last three years after the Super Bowl. Right, right, right. And one playoff win. And one playoff win, yeah. And then, obviously, you know, this year was, was a train wreck. So, I don't know if you saw this, bro, but Jeffrey Lurie, who's the owner of the Eagles, put out a little message after they released that Doug Peterson was fired. And one of the things that he said was, you know, he was talking about the difficulty of the decision and what it kind of came down to. And one of the things that he said was, did Doug Peterson deserve to get fired? No. But what is it? It was it was what the organization felt they needed to do to be able to effectively go through with what their vision was for the team. So it sounds like, I mean, look, there's obviously way more to it than we will ever be privy to. But yeah. what Jeffrey Lurie put out there was basically that when they were meeting after the season ended, Doug Peterson's vision for the coaching staff and vision for the team was not aligned with Jeffrey Lurie and probably Howie Roseman's and wow. you know other front that, office members in the organization. This this is this cannot be just this year thing. It can yeah, be like this yeah. has to have been going on for the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. But this is what I will say that very interesting that you say this because. You're talking about 
Big Doug. Big Doug yeah. Peterson. He is outside right now, statued up. Yeah, outside with Nick of Lincoln. Foles, outside of Lincoln Financial Field, statued. Yeah. A statue yeah. of him. So, I mean, let's be real. I mean, I've been a Philadelphia Eagles fan for only, you know, eight, you know, well, I'm 25, like 18 years. Mm-hmm. We've won one chip. And, right. and it was way before then, what, 1960, I don't think they won a championship since. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is the first Super Bowl they've ever won. And he's yeah. the coach that did it. He's really actually changed. Like, I forgot all about Chip Kelly. <laughs> like, yeah. I've blocked that part of my memory out because that was just such a terrible experience. Mm-hmm. But this guy really turned the organization around kind of quick. Very quickly. Very, very quick very. with a brand-new rookie quarterback, let's be real. Yep. Got got the, situ- the situation turned around. Actually won the chip. Just didn't get there, but yep. won the chip. Won the locker room over. Right. I mean, you know, the, the locker room was probably a mess after Chip Kelly. Locker room's tough. I mean, locker room Chip- is, 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 it's got to be just torn apart at that point. Yeah. But they love playing for that man, Doug. They had to. They were having yeah. so much fun. They were winning. And then, yeah. I mean, just to analyze the last three years, like, all, all I really want to do is beat Dallas. And, like, if we can win the division, that's always great. Right. We've, really done that the past two out of three years. And then we had COVID this year. Right. We had an off season. We still were super injured. And then we just fired my man Doug like that. I thought it was kind of grimy. I, did, I didn't like the decision. You know what though, bro? Like, and I, I don't know, I don't know professional football. I don't, I'm, I'm not familiar enough with the inner workings to really have like an educated opinion, but you think about some of the events that have unfolded in the organization over the last year, right? They used a second-round pick on Jalen Hurts. Right. When you've got Carson Wentz, who so clearly was seen as the franchise quarterback, right? Four-year, $180 million contract. You know, guy was having an MVP-type season until he um, got injured. They sent Nick Foles out to keep Carson Wentz. It wasn't a surprise, but he was so clearly the franchise quarterback. Had a couple pretty good seasons, right? Not, Not bad. Last year, he had a really good season. Last year, a great season. What a terrible team. Yeah. And, and you know, I feel like – I don't know, man. I, I You know, I played a sport that is very different than, than football. But I can understand or I can just assume that Carson Wentz's head probably wasn't in a great place. No matter what kind of teammate he was and no matter what he said about the situation, there's no way he was pleased that they spent a second-round pick on Jalen Hurts when they're also so clearly – were needs around the team to get him some damn weapons. Right. It's it's so many questions, and it's too many questions with not enough answers, and I I absolutely mm-hmm. hate that. Like, I, I and the questions yeah. are, why did we get Jalen Hurts with Carson Wentz when we signed him to all this money? Mm-hmm. Why are we firing Doug after coronavirus? Yep. And like, if you're gonna get a guy like Nick Sariani, who coming mm-hmm. from the Colts, who was a part of Andy Reid's you know, coaching staff coming from that type of, you know, lineage. Mm. You get that guy, wide receiver kind of coach, and you deal with the offense. And you're trying to kind of build the same exact thing because Doug Peterson came from that, right? Right. So you're not reaching out of the box to go do something super crazy. We got a lot to work on with what's going on. I mean, and Dave, I know we kind of jumped around, but just talking about Nick Sirianni, the new hire that they mm-hmm. just made uh, recently this past week. 
Yep. The new you know, hire. The new hire. <laughs> that's that. No hey, that's that PepsiCo talk. Yeah, bro. that's good. Frito Lay. The vocabulary is still there, bro. The new, <laughs> new hire. <laughs> and like, oh my god, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even He's gonna. You're head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, and you're referring to him as the new hire. <laughs> but they got Doug on a statue out there. I just can't. <laughs> They got Doug planted in the ground outside of Lincoln Financial Field. This man is a new hire. Bro, okay? that is so funny. I miss Doug. You know, but you know what I'm saying? We didn't, we didn't come with anything mm. new. Mm. We just came with the same of the old, but just, you know, a lot yeah. of people are saying that this guy is really good. He's really going to be able to kind of turn the team around and mm. guys like him. And he may bring some good coaches as well with him to kind of change the coaching staff around. He's a wide receiver coach. We've been really hurting at wide receiver, as you know. Yeah. Um, so hopefully get them involved. But the age-old question comes, Dad, because we left the season with the biggest question mark in NFL history. Yeah. We had Nate Sutterfield. <laughs> we had Nate Sutterfield playing in our last game of the season for like a whole quarter. Why? And and, and we had two healthy quarterbacks. One being Carson Wentz, one being Jalen Hurts, who got pulled for absolutely no reason. And then right. you fired that coach. So I guess I got to throw this to you just because you're from Philly because I ain't got no answer. What are we going <laughs> to do? What are we gonna do next year about Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz? Like, yeah. super duper tough. Well, I think, bro. This no, there's is, no answer. But give me I, what you got. Yeah, there's no answer. But here are my thoughts. I think the hiring of – Sirianni speaks volumes, and I could be wrong because next time we re- we record an episode together, the Eagles could look completely different than they do today. Right. But I think that this hopefully firing, not, not, not that yeah, hopefully not. yeah. <laughs> but I think the firing of Doug Peterson, first of all, spoke volumes to the direction that the organization wants to go with Carson Wentz. Right. Right. I think the hiring of Nick Sirianni from the Colts, who's got mm-hmm. ties to, I believe it's Frank Wright, right? Right. Who Carson had a great relationship yep. with. Quarterback coach, yeah. That also speaks volumes to what they want to do with Carson Wentz. So I feel like the organization is leaning towards, leaning in on Carson Wentz yeah. more than I did a few weeks ago before we're, Doug Peterson was fired. Yeah, and we're on the same wavelength there because I, I was going to say – where where they're gonna be where the money resides. Like they're gonna be with Carson Wentz because that's where the money is. Those are right? dollars. Those are those are you know mega millions. That's lottery money. You know what I'm that's almost the jackpot. Come on, bro, hundred some million dollars, that's family wealth. Yeah. Forever that's, money. That's generational wealth. Right there in a in a contract, so ain't no way I'm about to put generational wealth on the bench <laughs> for a rookie contract. Come on, bro! Right. Like we just gotta be really serious about it. So I think I think yeah. like if they don't I'm, have to, if they don't, if they don't, have to. If they don't have to. And my final synopsis of the ser- uh, of the situation is Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz for whatever reason that that soured, yeah, and. I think the Eagles were thinking, Doug, we just kind of picked you up and put you in here, and we were good. We came from Andy Reid. We just going to get another guy and throw you in there. Right. And we know this guy is cool with Carson, with the money. Right. 
right. because of the relation that she has with Frank Wright. So, like right. you said, and right. so we're gonna go this way. So I think you hit it dead on the head. And I mean, I don't know yeah. if that's gonna happen, Dave. But Bro, what happened? Like, okay, I mean, I know from a performance standpoint, Carson Wentz was 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 having a terrible year. But like, you can look at that from so many perspectives. Like, you could absolutely make the case that he had nobody. Not nobody, but he really didn't have many pieces around him to help him be successful. But then you could also, I mean, he was ranked like nearly dead last in every important category that quarterbacks are judged on. So like, you know, there there was a performance issue there. But bro, like, I feel like there was something else going on. There was because there was something with Doug and Carson that well, was not right. But bro, in past years, it didn't seem that way at all. Dave. Dave, we just gonna we gonna just have to leave this one on the side because we're gonna I have to think, leave this one on red because 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 <laughs> I don't think like where we where we were all these other questions they don't have any answers right so the only answer that I can give you to that particularly is that when Carson was healthy uh, like two years ago after he we won the Super Bowl and we put Nick Foles in at the end he kind of won some games and got us to the playoff and yeah you know yeah. all all those good things. Like, I think that may have soured the relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think Carson had a really good year last year. Yeah. And then, but, you know, we obviously didn't win the playoffs because he got hurt again. And then there's distrust there. Yeah. And, this, yeah. and then with the with the ownership, it's just so multifaceted. And I hate using that word because no, I use no, it a lot. True. But it is. True. It it's is. There's so true. many things going on. Bro, and, the th- and we both know this from past experiences. There are things that happen within teams, within locker rooms, that nobody else ever knows about Facts. and shouldn't know about. Facts. We want to know about it because we're, we're fans and we love right. the team. You know, whatever. We should know. We but, should know. you know, it's multifaceted. There are probably 10 to 20 other complex pieces to this puzzle that we will never know about, right? Yeah. But that totally yeah. existed and probably had something to do with the beef between them. That led to you know Doug being yep. fired and all that. All the that only stuff. thing we really weren't we should be worrying about is can we get some W's? I was just going to say I'm worried about I'm worried about W's. Can we get some W's this season, bro? Can we get more than four? I'd be down with nine this year. I'd be I'd be down to go nine and seven. I'd be down. Oh yeah. Well, I, you know I, I love to get the double digits. You know, double digits <laughs> almost guarantee you're in the playoffs. Yeah. So. Yeah. I would love to get 10 wins. I mean, but nine is good for for where we are. Thanks for listening to Pod About It. I hope you enjoyed it. Comment, rate, subscribe, and share with someone who you love. I know there's at least one person. We'll see you soon. But until then, stay safe. Peace.